The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. So, you know I'm, I'm cheap. I mean, there's no oh, secret. Do I? Do I know? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there's no secret, okay? No, there's absolutely none. <laughs> I'm not trying to hide it. And I, uh, when I shop, I use coupons, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's just smart. That's I, just I'm smart. just talking about how cheap you are. We go get a coffee. And well, there's that, too. You're, like, looking for every penny. Whatever. I pick them up off the ground still. I, know, I pick I up know. pennies. I that. No, that's fine. So, yeah. I, I saw this coupon sitting on my kitchen table earlier tonight, and it was buy to or you get a dollar off if you buy two bags of a certain brand of pepperoni. So I thought, hmm, pepperoni sounds good. So I grabbed the coupon. I walked to the grocery store, which is basically across the street from my house. So you choose your shopping on what coupons you find? (laughs) Pretty much. Okay. (laughs) I I mean, I I go, I'm like, hey, we need cheese. I'll go to the store and get cheese. I don't sit there and say, oh, look, I found a coupon for cheese. Maybe I'll just go randomly buy some. I'm just saying the combination of the dollar off plus the picture of the pepperoni looked really good. It all just came together for a magical moment, okay? (laughs) Yeah, well, it sounds it. So I went over, I grabbed two bags of this pepperoni, got my dollar savings, brought it back. But the, the moral of this story is I just ate a whole bag of pepperoni and I I'm just not sure how I'm going to feel in about an hour. You I'm are going to swell up. I'm telling you right now, it's already given me some it's, it's like eating a, a whole ham by yourself. I know. It's not good. It's not good. But we will, we're we professionals here. We will just plug on and, and work our you way through. You might not say anything about plug. You <laughs> <laughs> might need one later. Yes. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. We've actually got a really cool sh- program tonight. Um, D- James DiEugenio, D- DiEugenio um, is the author of a book called JFK Assassination, The Evidence Today. And we always love talking about the JFK assassination for a lot of reasons, but um, primarily because it's one of those that brings so many things together. It brings government conspiracy. It brings the mob. It brings communism. It brings Russia. It brings Cuba. It brings the FBI. It brings the CIA. And it brings a guy named Lee Harvey Oswald into a big web of what the heck happened. Yeah, it really does. And I I know this... uh, when it comes to the JFK thing, I, I know about it, but I don't know very much. I, and this is definitely your your can of worms. You you know pretty much so much about this, and uh, it's all. But it's always interesting when we talk to these guys because I learn more and more about about what what happened. And I have my own theories, and I definitely don't think it was it was Oswald, but. You know, to each their own. Yeah, well, you, you, you using the words can of worms is a great way to describe it because depending on, you know, which angle you come at this story from, there's, there, you know, there are a hundred different explanations. There are a hundred different ways this conspiracy could have played out. Um, James Garrison, Jim Garrison, who, of course, was author of the book on the trail of the assassins, which served as the foundation for Oliver Stone's movie JFK. He was the one that kind of brought a lot of those pieces together and really served as the focus or the nucleus of conspiracy discussions from that point on. But that's starting to change as well. And uh, James DiEugenio is going to talk about that. Uh, He's going to have words to say about some of the work that's done prior to him and how some people just were like rubber stamping the Warren Commission and uh, how dangerous and inaccurate that is. And, uh, you know, there's new information. They released documents just in the last year uh, that had been classified up until this point. So there's stuff coming out all the time. No, and a lot of people do that. They just say what's been said and keep on repeating it, even even if they know it's not the truth just because they're trying to follow a, a set of protocols or their own guidelines or cover for for their their own and it's a, it's a shame it goes down that way but speaking of oliver stone i mean he he wrote the whole forward to uh 
to James' book that we're going to be talking about tonight. And it's it's really neat some of the things he wrote in this in, in the Ford uh, about the book. It's just. It, it's really interesting. It really is. Yeah, he did. He wrote, uh, and he called uh, James DiEugenio the third, the leader of the third generation of uh, conspiracy researchers, uh, which is quite an honor coming from somebody like Oliver Stone. Now, Oliver Stone and I may not agree on a lot of things, but I can tell you his passion for trying to get to the truth is uh, is remarkable, and it deserves to be respected, and I certainly respect that of him. Um, and that movie, I, I love the movie. Whether it's, I mean, I find it interesting because I, I watched or I read the book that it's based on, um, but he did take some creative license with with the film, but it's still a fascinating and entertaining film. Yeah, I mean, even in even what he wrote in James' book, he talks about, you know, there is absolutely no proof that Oswald did this. So, I don't know, but we'll get into a lot of that tonight. I mean, there's, gonna, there's so much to talk about when it comes down to the subject. And you know what makes it even more interesting that we're doing this tonight? Now, you said, you know, that it's... You're it, fighting pepperoni? I do have the pepperoni... Pepperoni uh, monster. Blahs. <laughs> but, um, but as you said, you know, it's Tuesday on the East Coast, which means it's June 5th on the East Coast, and it is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. Gee, wow. Well, you know, that's what I can't even say what's funny because it's not funny. Um, wasn't it like last year, or the year before that we were talking about JFK yes. and, and come to find out we didn't even realize it, but yes. it was on the anniversary. Yes. That happened last year to us too. Yes. That's exactly yes. right. I don't know if Slick Eddie is a genius. No, I no, I just <laughs> he think just, he's a madman. He just sometimes things it. just work out. <laughs> well, but I think that's the case with this, this particular. This is one of those rarities. Yeah. I mean, geez, yeah congratulations, that's... Slick. Uh, yeah, you, Slick. You didn't that's... screw up. Again. Knocking it out of the park, Twice. and you didn't even ha- you didn't have your eyes open. That's pretty amazing. I know. Does um, it all from the comforts of his own bed? Yeah, sleeping <laughs> his hospital bed. Uh, we've got some great shows coming up for the rest of the week as well. Tomorrow night we've got two guests coming on. Assuming everything works out as it's supposed to. The first part of the show, we are going to have uh, D. Snyder come on the program. Now, D. is the known best as the lead singer of Twisted yeah, Sister. We're not going to take yep, it. Yep. And that video is, was iconic during yeah. the 80s, so that's a classic one. Um, he's also done a lot of acting work. He has his own musical projects going on. And we're going to tra- chat with him on uh, the first part of the program for tomorrow night. And then Kathleen O'Keefe. Uh, Kenavos will be joining us. She's a three-time breast cancer survivor. She's a life guidance coach and an inspirational speaker. We're talking about uh, a book that she wrote called Dreams That Can Save Your Life. Do you know where Dee's going to be? Not this weekend, but next weekend, JV? I might know, but why don't you go ahead and tell us? (laughs) He's going to be at Scaricon. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's I got to swing up. I got to hang out with Yeah, y'all. you do. You got to come up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, Dee is one of our featured guests at the Scaricon event coming up June 16th and 17th in Framingham, Massachusetts. Check it out, Scaricon.com. Um, and I don't think he'll be wearing his makeup. <laughs> I don't think he will. But he's, he's yeah, I mean, I have not but met But you never know, geez. I've not met him in person. He just seems like a fun guy. I can't, I can't say it any other way. I know Steve, Steve's met him a bunch of times. They're friends. So. Yeah, Steve's done some events with him. That's cool. Um, Wednesday night, Blanche Barton will be with us. Uh, Blanche is a Magistra Templi Rex of the Church of Satan. We're going to be talking about Satanism, magic, and Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey. Before anybody gets all, you know, preachy, understand that other people's beliefs we respect we give them the ability to discuss them we might not agree with it but hey we give them the ability to discuss it and uh, this is this is where everybody can talk everybody can preach their well talk about their their own belief systems free of uh well just persecution 
Bottom line. Yeah, I mean, we'll ask the questions. We open up the discussion. You're welcome to call in with your uh, questions on the phone. Um, all that stuff is welcome. That's the whole point, having the discussion. Since too long ago, I got somebody to admit that they didn't believe in Satan. And they were part of the Church of Satan. Exactly. So, <laughs> But right. we, we won't get into that. So anyways, all right. So we're going to, and then we got uh, Thursday, we got Rebecca Foster coming on for the first hour. Should be doing readings, of course. And uh, Rebecca's awesome. Anybody who's listened to the show in the past has, has heard Rebecca on here. And the second hour, we'll have Kelly Carlin. Now, this is incredible because she's the daughter of George Carlin. And we'll be discussing a bunch of stuff, and uh, let alone a DVD set of George Carlin. And so there's going to be so much coming on that night. So make sure you tune in and check it out. Yeah, great week of programs coming up here on Beyond Reality Radio. And thank you to everyone for joining us. Write down the phone number, 844-687-7669. And I will give you a bit of a fair warning here. Jason and I, because of Scaricon coming up and some other things that we have going on, next week is going to be a best of programs for the week. So yes. some great interviews that we've done already will be aired next week. Yes, so make sure you check them out. But all right, so again, the phone number is 844-687-7669. If you haven't yet, head over to facebook.com slash beyondrealityradio, like the Facebook page for us. Then head to beyondrealityradio.com where you can download, well, you can find all the stations we are in across the country. You can download the free iPhone and Android app right there, which allows you to listen live, catch past shows, join the online chat, and more. Or you can listen right from the website just by clicking the pop-up button in the upper right-hand corner and listen to the show while sitting on your computer. So with that, we're going to take a break. A lot more to come. You listen to Jason and JV, Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be back after this. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Beyond Reality Paranormal. I'm your host, JV Johnson. I'm going to ask that you support this program. The easiest way to do that, by the way, is if you're listening as a podcast, you just open up the description of the episode and you scroll down to the bottom. And at the bottom, there is a link that says support this podcast. If you click on that, you'll be taken to a page that gives you a couple of options for supporting the show. We greatly appreciate it. It helps us bring great programs to you every week, and we look forward to continuing to do that. And if you're enjoying the program on YouTube, there's another way you can support the show. Just go to the description. You'll see a link to a Patreon page. It's Joha, J-O-H-A-W. And if you go to the Patreon page, you'll be able to pledge an amount to help support the show as well. Once again, thanks for your support. Thank you for listening. Please share it with your friends. We've got a really, really exciting discussion about to take place here with our guest, James DiEugenio. He's an author and a researcher. His website is kennedysandking.com. He's the author of a couple books, including Destiny Betrayed and the JFK Assassination, The Evidence Today, which is what we're going to spend a good deal of time talking about. James, uh, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's great to have you on tonight. My pleasure, gentlemen. We've been looking forward to this, James. So let's talk about let's talk about you prior to writing these books. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Oh, okay. Um, I was born back east, okay, in, in uh, a little town called Erie, Pennsylvania. I moved to California uh, when I was in my late twenties, and uh, I became an educator for a long time, and I had an interest in films. All right. And I went to film school and one of the early scripts, well, actually I was in film school when I got thought this idea uh, was about, I was going to write a script about the JFK case. All right. Since that had interested me for a very long time and doing my preliminary research, I decided, I told my partner, you know, the only way you can tell this story is to make it a dramatic, cohesive whole is through this guy, Jim Garrison. 
All right. And so I started to write it. And then I pick up Variety Magazine one morning, and I see that Oliver Stone has bought the rights <laughs> to Jim Garrison's book. So there goes my ambition, you know. And so what I did is I turned my research into the first version of Destiny Betrayed, all right. And the, the one you're talking about is the second edition, which is much better because that edition was based on the declassified files of the Assassination Record Review Board. And there was a lot of stuff that they released on Jim. Well, should I talk a little bit about that? We'll get into Do your listeners know what that is? Let's get into that after the break, because we only have a couple minutes right. here, and I just want to get your background first, and then we'll get into all of that. Okay, so then I did that book, and then I went ahead and published a magazine, called, which was a paper magazine back then, called Probe Magazine for seven years. And then since then, we have this online presence, which you just mentioned, at kennedysandking.com. And I published an anthology called The Assassinations. That's based on all four assassinations of the 1960s. That would be JFK, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Bobby Kennedy, who I... And your time zone now, I think, is the anniversary of his assassination, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we actually just mentioned that in our opening segment, June 5th, 1968. It's June 5th here. We are on the 50th anniversary of that event. That's incredible. And we, and we didn't even plan that out. It's amazing. <laughs> right. It's pretty cool. And that's really, you know, one way to look at that, and I kind of, we kind of did that in anthology, is that was the end of an era. You know, Bobby Kennedy getting killed in the pantry, of the Ambassador Hotel yeah. was the end okay, of, of, of the 60s, you know, you know it's, and it's never come back. You know, it was kind of terminal, all right? And so then uh, um, I decided to do a book that you have, which we're, I think we're going to talk about tonight, um, which is now called The JFK Assassination, The Evidence Today, and that book is an overall view of the case, of the JFK case, in light of the declassified files of the ARB. And it has two other highlights in it. Um, one is on Vincent Bugliosi, and the other one is on Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. It's kind of bookended by those two parts of the book. And people at home are probably saying, what the heck do those characters have to do with this story, <laughs> they have a lot to do. <laughs> but they have a tremendous they, do. they have a lot to do which i hope we get to talk about oh, we, we certainly will but i want to take you back just a second when you started the research before you realized oliver stone had bought the rights to jim garrison's book on the trail of the assassins was that when the jfk assassination really uh crept into your mind in in the sense that it was a you know a passion for you well let me before that I had had an interest in the JFK case, all right, because one day, I, and this is completely by accident, you know, I, was, I discovered this old Playboy magazine, which is the famous issue where they had the longest interview they ever did, which was Jim Garrison. Mm -hmm. And I brought it home one night. And this thing had me up until 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, wait a minute. This guy really knew what the heck he was talking about. You know, 
he had a lot better grip on the JFK case than the Warren Commission did. You know, and so when, when, I, when I discovered that, I decided there are two things that I've been misled about. Number one, there was a heck of a lot going on in New Orleans, all right, about the JFK case. And number two, I, I would not trust the mainstream media on the JFK case anymore. You know? Yeah, and, and, I, don't, and I don't think it's ended there as far as distrust no, no, for the mainstream no. media. It's actually gotten wider and deeper, okay? James was talking about uh, Jim Garrison and how reading an article, uh, an interview with Jim Garrison that appeared in Playboy magazine kind of opened your eyes, James, to the uh, idea that there might be something amiss in this whole story. First of all, tell the audience, I know who James uh, Jim Garrison is, was, uh, what he did, but for those who don't know, why don't you go ahead and, and tell us who he was and why his work was so important? Well, Jim Garrison was, um, at the time of the, uh, the Kennedy assassination, he was the elected district attorney in New Orleans Parish. And since Lee Harvey Oswald had lived in New Orleans for about six months, uh, from April to October of uh, 1963, the day of the assassination, Garrison decided to go ahead and start investigating what the guy was doing there for six months. And why did he come there, and then why did he kind of abruptly leave? And after he left, he supposedly took this very strange trip down to Mexico City, did this weird stuff, then came back to Dallas, and then on the 22nd, he's accused of uh, shooting Kennedy. And so Garrison started an investigation and found out some interesting things about what the so-called communist, and remember, that's what the world, the Warren Commission pronounced them, the so-called communist was doing there. And he explored and discovered that he had some rather strange friends there, you know, like uh, Guy Bannister, an extremely right-wing former FBI agent whose office he worked out of, David Ferry, another extreme right-winger who had taken part in Operation Mongoose and the Bay of Pigs, and a guy named Clay Shaw, who was a upper-class manager of the International Trademark there down in New Orleans. He had several other friends, which uh, if we want to talk about, we can can talk about it later. And so this began to struck Garrison as being rather odd. And so he held Ferry over for questioning. Uh, His Ferry story didn't make a lot of sense to Garrison. Uh, And so he turned him over to the FBI. And that was a big mistake, which Garrison didn't realize at that time, because, um, to put it mildly, Jay Hoover, the director of the FBI at that time, wasn't really very interested in uncovering the true facts of the JFK case, as anybody can see by measuring his performance for the Warren Commission. <laughs> All right. So then, when Garrison got back into the case, uh, in late 1966, he began to really put a full-court press on an investigation, and he made some very, very interesting discoveries, and then when he was viciously attacked by almost all the mainstream media at that time, 
and he ended up more or less getting buried by a combination of the uh, the media plus uh, the FBI surveillance of his office and the CIA infiltration of his office, and he was Clay Shaw was acquitted because Ferry had mysteriously died before Garrison was going to indict him, and then he tried to uh, indict Shaw for perjury, and the judge threw out the case, and then that was uh, that was about it. Okay, for the gear until he wrote this book, which Oliver Stone picked up and made it into this film in 1991 called JFK, which I'm not exaggerating very much when I say it kind of shook the world yeah. <laughs> for about nine months. Oh yeah, the the controversy about this film was unlike anything that really that I, I'd ever seen in my life. I'd never seen that much controversy. Six months before the movie premiered, they were writing articles about it, you know. And then, of course, it uh, provoked so much, so much uproar and furor that people called into Washington. They faxed into Washington. You know, they sent telegrams into Washington you know, why are all, because at the end of the film, if you recall, Oliver put up there, words of the effect, the files of the House Select Committee on Assassinations, the last official investigation of the JFK case, are closed until the year 2029. And that's what provoked what we were talking about a little bit earlier, the creation of the Assassinations Record Review Board which was put to work to declassify. You know the irony of that? <laughs> you, know the, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Yeah, of course. <laughs> because what Trump, what Trump has done between October of last year and April of this year, I don't think we're going to see the last of those files to maybe 2029 anyway. <laughs> you know? So, you know, although we did get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of declassification, that's true. You know, uh, he's deferred this now until 2021. And God knows what's going to happen in 2021. Yeah. Is that just a case of nobody wanting to ha- to to make the decision? Nobody wanting to be the you know the pilot in this P I L A T E pilot, as in the story of Christ. You know that no one wants the quote unquote blood on their hands of making a decision like that. Or why does it keep the can keep keep kick kicking down the road further and further? What is with that? You know something. As much as I know about this case. All right, which is more than ninety nine point nine nine percent of any anybody else. I really don't understand what petrifies these people. You know, I mean, I mean, it's. I guess one good guess is that once they're in the Oval Office and they say, "and we're going to release everything," then after they say something like that, the CIA comes in first, and then the FBI comes in and says. Do you want to be responsible right. for the death of three secret agents? Right. You know, right. we'll publicize this all over our newspaper assets, and we're going to make you look like such a slime ball. You know, and that's the only thing I can think of. I, I really, I really wish I had a better answer. You know, but I really don't know what goes on in those deep dark rooms. Now, I will tell you this. I will tell you this because. These guys, the CIA, the FBI, NSA, State Department, all these secret agencies, 
because they've gotten away with so much stuff for so long, they really, really do not want to give up anything. They don't have to. And I know this for a fact because I talked to one of the board members on the ARB, the Assassinations Record Review Board, which is set up by Congress to declassify all these JFK documents. And he said, Jim, at the first meeting that we had with the CIA, they sent their representative in, and we decided we're going to start off really easy. Okay? So we flashed on the screen a short document that couldn't have been more than six lines long. Okay? And I looked over at this guy, and I said, what could you possibly object to in declassifying that document? Because to me, there wasn't anything in it that would endanger national security. And the guy looks at the screen, he looks at me, and then he says, I don't know, but give me a couple minutes, I'll think of something. (laughs) Oh, wow. See, that's the kind of attitude these people have. You know, they really don't want to give up anything that they don't have to give up. They really do believe that they're above the law. Yeah. Well, and we're seeing you know? a lot, we're we're still seeing a lot of that going on right now to this day. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's and it's you know the thing is it's a scandal that nobody does anything about because the media doesn't say anything about it. You know? James And it's 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 terrible because I really believe this. I really believe this. You cannot have a society that doesn't know all the all the deep dark secrets about its past. All right? Yeah. You if you do, you're you're just essentially flying blind. Yeah, but also, don't you, know? you think that a lot of it might, uh, when we know the deep, dark secrets of the past, it sort of, well, I, I think in, in the same, it would terrify a lot, of, uh, a lot of the American citizens right now thinking that our government is capable of that. So you, are we, you, we sort of know they are anyway. So you're but, saying it's gone so far that they feel like they have to perpetuate the lie, otherwise the whole house of cards comes tumbling down? Well, is that what you mean? that's one way to look at it. I I don't look at it that way. I sort of feel like, you know, I think the American people can handle the truth. You know, like that famous scene in <laughs> A Few Good Men. Yeah, we, we use it in our opening oh, theme, yeah. actually. You can't handle the truth. Hey, James, i gotta ask, <laughs> I got to ask you this about Jim Garrison. Um, I read his book after I uh, watched JFK, the movie, for the first time because it fascinated me. Um but was Jim Garrison? A lot of people have criticized his his uh, motives or his you know his uh, his motives for for pursuing this. Uh, clearly, New Orleans wasn't where Kennedy was assassinated. Therefore, a lot of people said this just isn't in your jurisdiction. Why are you doing this? So, in your estimation, was he a patriot just trying to get to the truth? Was he just a curious individual that really wanted to know what happened, or was he was he an attention seeker, or none of the above? Well. Well, look, after examining Garrison's life, in sheer, in sheer practical terms of his career, starting the JFK investigation was the worst thing he ever did. True, that's true. Because Garrison, in 1966, was one of the most, let's put it this way, in 1966, at the peak of his power and his popularity, Garrison could have easily been the governor or senator from Louisiana, all right, if that's what he wanted to be. Right. You know, and 
what happened to him with the JFK case destroyed those ambitions, which, by the way, he actually did say once that he really wanted to be a senator, you know, and that was taken from him because of this. And so if you take a look at, and you're absolutely correct, the assassination did not happen uh, in, in, in New Orleans, but a lot of interesting stuff with Oswald was happening in New Orleans, you know, and, and a lot of the, the people he was hanging out with were some really, really fascinating people. And in fact, it was Jim Garrison who, in my opinion, peeled back, was the first guy to peel back the whole thing about Oswald being a communist. You know, I mean, here's a guy who's supposed to be a communist, and he, you, you can't find one communist friend that he had in either New Orleans or Dallas, all right? And in fact, he hangs out with these extreme right-wing people, and a lot of them associated with the CIA, you know? So it was Garrison who helped unravel the whole mystique behind who Lee Harvey Oswald really was, which, if you ask me, the Warren Commission deliberately covered up. Well, and, and, and that's just one of his achievements. And Jack Ruby also helped cover that up in a way, which we'll get into uh, later in our discussion. We have to go to break here. And I just want to remind folks, if you're not sure who Jim Garrison is, and you did see the movie JFK, he actually was the actor that played uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren in Oliver Stone's movie, which was kind of interesting. And honestly, we can get into a little more, but him just getting involved in this was sort of the beginning of the downfall. Before he started getting charged for all different things and people claiming that he was taking illegal bribes, and it was insane. So, all right, so we're going to take a quick break. More to come. You're listening to Jason and JV, Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be back after this. You know, when you listen to this program, you hear many interesting guests who discuss many interesting topics. Most of those guests have books, movies, or other work that support their ideas. And we've made it very easy for you to find that work. Just go to Amazon.com slash shop slash JVJ Taps. Not only will you find the books and other work of our guests, but you'll help support this program at the same time. Again, it's Amazon.com slash shop slash JVJ Taps. You'll also see links in the description of this episode that you can click on. We can only scratch the surface of many of these topics, and the real knowledge is what you'll find in the pages or frames of our guests' efforts. So click the link and browse, and hey, thanks for listening. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a Shark and save. Check out the website. A lot of information about his work at kennedysandking.com. He's the author of a couple books, Destiny's Destiny Betrayed, and the one we're talking about tonight, which is the JFK assassination, The Evidence Today. There's a lot going on. It's a moving target. Uh, we can't seem to get to the truth, James. Will we ever get to the truth? <laughs> that's, that's a hell of a good question. You know, <laughs> I, I, and I really wish I could answer it. You know, I, I think we're getting a little bit, I think we're getting closer. Let's put it this way. 
I think we're a lot closer now than we were before the ARB. The ARB did declassify about 2 million pages of documents. And if you can believe it, there are some people who read these things. You know, not just me, but there's a lot of other people who read these things. And uh, in October of last year, Trump did allow for the declassification of about, the best number I can think of is about 30,000 pages. All right? And so... We, we are getting a little bit closer, and um, I, I couldn't have written this book, you know, with, without those documents, just like I couldn't have written the second edition, the second edition of Destiny Betrayed without those documents. So the, the problem is, you know, and I'm sure you guys understand what I'm talking about, the, the problem is the, 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 the mainstream media doesn't carry any of this stuff. You know, there's there's some really, really, really interesting things that have come out of the archives, but the mainstream media ignores them. You know, and and so therefore, you know, it's like the myth of Sisyphus. You know, there's people like me and people like John Newman, and uh, you know, and people like Lisa Peace and 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 the Mary Farrell Foundation and 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 we talk about this stuff and we try and get it out there but unless there's shows like yours which come to be called for whatever reason alternative media you know it's very difficult to get on and try and argue with somebody like Chris Matthews yeah yeah you know okay because those guys are just you know uh, and Rachel Maddow, they're they're and and they're supposed to be liberals, and that's yeah. and that's what's so maddening about this. They're well, supposed to be liberals, and it makes you, <laughs> you, know? and it you makes, but you just can't get on. It you makes know, you they wonder. Just, they though, just won't let you on. Well, it makes you wonder if uh, they they set uh, the time uh, before they release all the documents to make sure that anybody and everybody who was involved in it has passed has had more than enough well, see, time that's to pass another away. Thing that's very very maddening about this, you know. Uh, it's it's now, if, you, if you're talking about the actual assassination of JFK, you're talking 56 years yeah. past, the, you know, the, the, day, the day that he was murdered, you know. And, you know, how can you, I don't know if you, do you guys know this? Do you know that all three pathology doctors at Bethesda that night are now dead? I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's been a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah, Humes, Boswell, and the last one who died was Fink about five months ago, and I didn't even know he was dead until two weeks ago. Wow. Well, and that's part of the problem. You say we're getting closer, but at the same time, I think we might getting be getting further away because we're losing uh, all these people that well, could have something it. to say about it. And it almost seems like that's the setup. So. We're going to continue our conversation about the JFK assassination with our guest, James, James D. Eugenio, in just a few moments. But, you know, we've, we've talked frequently on this program, and I'm sure every one of you listening has talked about it with somebody either in your family or a friend or an acquaintance. And I think uh, it, it rings very, very true. Society has changed since smartphones have uh, shown up in everybody's hands. And you go into a bar, you go into a restaurant, you go anywhere these days, and people's faces are buried into their smartphones. Even couples. As opposed to where they would be talking to each other in, in the past. Exactly. Well, Apple 
Computer uh, just had their developers conference, and they've uh, heard the cries of many groups that are saying they need to do something. Now, I'm not sure why Apple needs to do it, but they're saying Apple needs to do something, step up, and try to change some of this behavior. So they're introducing a new app that will come standard on uh, iPhones. It's called Screen Time, and it's going to allow parents not only to go in and set how much time a phone will be active for a child, but also how much time they can use any individual apps. Um, and they can track it and then go in and, and, and I don't know if they can do it remotely or they have to go into the phone, but it'll show them, um, you know, how much time is spent on any given app uh, and, and on the phone itself. And all these things are designed to start to try to wrestle in this addiction we have to smartphones. Well, I think that's huge because the UK has actually been looking at passing a law to limit the amount of time on social media for children under a certain age. And I think it's important. It really is. I mean, the phones at, at my house, they're down at 7 p.m. Nobody's using, nobody's using them or anything like that. Uh, of course, they're, they're nowhere to be found when it's dinner time and we're all at the table. And I love the phone. I love being able to easily make contact and everything. But I also, in the same, I hate the phone. Yeah. Because it, you leave the house and you forget it, you f- you truly feel naked. Oh, you and it's really like, do, yeah. Well, and of course, it's not the days where you used to you have you have pants. It's usually everywhere. because it's usually because the phone's in my pants and I forgot my pants, so I truly am naked. No, I know. Yeah, that's times. that's one of those things you really. Besides that, and your urge to buy pepperoni with coupons, it's <laughs> yeah. just. I mean, you got some issues. But it's it's so true, and it is a, a culture and societal changing event going on right before our eyes. And I don't know how it how it shakes. I mean, honestly. Um, you hate it, but you love it at the same time. I mean, I'll, I'll be one of the first to criticize it, but my phone is in my hands all the time, and I'm using it. I'm using it for uh, whether it's just texting or, or, or emails fun. or looking yeah. up stuff or playing track trivia, track trivia, or track trivia. Listen to me, crack track trivia, what? trivia, crack, crack trivia, whatever it is. What is that? What is that? <laughs> so yeah, so uh, I don't know how this this is going to shake out, but um, it's an amazing tool, but it's also uh, a dangerous tool if it's abused. I guess like anything. Yeah, it really is, and uh, I, I think it needs to be reined uh, in. Really okay. does. So our guest tonight is James DiEugenio. He's an author and a researcher. Check out his website at kennedysandking.com, and also his books, Destiny Betrayed, and the JFK assassination, The Evidence Today, and that's what we're spending a good deal of our time talking about. By the way, we've opened up the phone lines in case you, in case you have a question for our guest. We will take your calls. And, James, um, we did have some documents released relatively recently it was a bit of a disappointment for a lot of people because they thought there were going to be a lot more that would be coming out um but in this stuff that was released was there anything that you might consider even approaching the level of a smoking gun or at least the level of hey this is something we didn't know before and this kind of changes the discussion well yeah there's uh, okay there's um let me name three examples um the mayor of Dallas, Earl Cabell, was a CIA asset. That was just declassified six months ago. And, by the way, do you know why they didn't declassify it before? Why? Because there was a classification set up called NBR by the ARB. NBR means not believed relevant. Hmm. How the <laughs> hell could anybody not think that Earl Cabell, and I guess I should explain why that's important, because his brother was a deputy director of the CIA, who Kennedy fired in 1961 over the Bay of Pigs. 
So how could anybody not believe that that's relevant to the Kennedy assassination? All right. There's another one in which a uh, declassified FBI report where a guy who owns a sound engineering store setting up microphones and sound systems had Jack Ruby come into his place about two weeks before the Kennedy assassination. And he was ordering up some and or looking at some new microphone systems for his clubs. And he liked the way that he was being treated and everything. And he says, Here, write your name down. Here, my friend will give you a tablet and paper, and we're going to give you some free passes for my club. His friend was Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm. Mm. All right? Okay. And there's a third one that I think is interesting. The more and more time goes on, the more and more questionable it becomes if Lee Harvey Oswald was ever in Mexico City. All right. Um, there, the CIA had a couple of uh, informants in the Cuban consulate where, if you recall, Oswald was supposed to have visited there three times while he was uh, in Mexico City. And the CIA asked both of them more than once, did you see this guy while he was here? And they said no. They asked one of them three different times, showed them this picture, okay, because they couldn't believe it. All right. See, the CIA had a very big problem on the day of the assassination, okay, because all this stuff was leaking out of Washington, out of James Angleton's office, that, that Oswald's in Mexico City. But the people down in Mexico City couldn't find any evidence he was there. And they started going crazy. They started checking airlines. They started checking bus lines. They started checking anything. You know, <laughs> wait a minute. We can't find one iota of proof that this guy was ever here. And we're getting all these stories about he's in Mexico City from the papers in the United States. You know? And that's a very, very, very important part of the puzzle, which I'm working on, which I plan on bringing out in my last edition of this book, okay, which I'm gonna, it's going to take me a while to do it, you know, but uh, I think it's going to be an absolutely stunning story, Oswald well, in Mexico City. Well, now let me ask this. Who, who set the date of 2029 for the document, uh, documents to be released? That was originally set by Congress. Okay. Okay. Well, and right, for the files of the House Select Committee on Assassinations, all right, that's what it was supposed to be, 2029. All right, and uh, JV and I were talking during break about this because the one thing that's always made me wonder is, first off, that's 66 years after, and it and it makes you wonder, now, did they set that date for any certain reason, or did they set that date to make sure anybody who was involved in this had time to, well, pass on, and that way they're, they're covered? I think that that is a standard thing with Congress. That would have been 50 years from the, the day the House Select Committee on Assassinations shut down. Okay? And, see this, is, see, this is the problem. See, the problem with the House Select Committee doing that 
was that the Freedom of Information Act, which is the standard legal device that citizens can use to petition their government to get declassified files, only applies to the executive branch. It does not apply to, to the congressional. So, in other words, the House Act Committee, because it was a congressional investigation, you couldn't get those with a Freedom of Information Act request. That's what made that so bad. So that was one really good thing about the ARB, that we got a lot of those House Select Committee files that would have been. But the thing is, the thing that they're really getting, giving us a hard time about is the Church Committee plus the records of the Customs Department in New Orleans. Okay, those are a couple of places that were really, and I guess, should I explain what the church committee was? Yeah, please do. Uh, okay, the, the church committee was set up by Senator Frank Church in 1975. It was the first full-scale investigation of the abuses of the FBI and the CIA. And those guys dug up a lot of really, really interesting stuff about some of the things that Hoover and the Dulles brothers were doing. And a guy named Richard Schweiker, who was a senator from Pennsylvania, along with Gary Hart, who was a senator from Colorado, they had an interest in the JFK case, all right? And... Church did not let them launch a full investigation of the JFK assassination, but he did let them investigate how well the Warren Commission was served by the FBI and the CIA, you know, and the Secret Service, which were the three main sources of information. And so it's extraordinary some of the stuff that they, but now we're finding out that some of that stuff was destroyed. Now, of course, I'm sure some of you are going to ask me, well, do you really know it was destroyed? Or you're, yeah, well, I, I really don't know. <laughs> right. I'm just saying that's what they're saying. Some of the stuff was either lost or destroyed. You know? And there's some really, really interesting stuff, because, see, that was the first time that there ever really was an accounting of some of the really bad things that the FBI and the CIA... That's how one of the ways that we found out about COINTELPRO, which was, of course, the uh, Hoover's programs to infiltrate and decimate the left in this country. You know, like the Students for Democratic Society, like the Black Panthers, those kind of things. You know, it was the first time we ever really got a lot of information on that stuff. And so some of those files now are either lost or destroyed, and it's a real shame because there was some really, really, really interesting stuff in there. We're talking with James DiEugenio, author and researcher. His book is The JFK Assassination, The Evidence Today. And James, we're going to quickly run out of time here, so I want to move the conversation forward a little bit. Um, Tell us who Vincent Bugliosi was and why uh, it's important that we know what he did and what your book addresses. We've only got a couple minutes here before we have to take another break. We can get to the rest of it on the other side. Um, but you wrote the book in, in a lot of ways in response to his work. Vince Bugliosi was a famous uh, prosecutor in Los Angeles 
who decided to go ahead and take part in this London uh, television trial of Lee Harvey Oswald against defense attorney Jerry Spence. He ended up convincing the jury that Oswald was guilty, and this inspired him to write this elephantine book called Reclaiming History, defending the idea that the Warren Commission was actually correct. When I say elephantine, I'm not exaggerating. It's combined the text and the CD, 2,646 pages. And I'm probably one of the only maybe 10 people in America who read every single page. <laughs> and the only way you can read the book is you have to have a big table with the book, because it's an oversized book. On top of being that long, it's an oversized book. And you have to have to spread the book out on the table, and then you have to be in front of your computer and reading all of his notes. Because there's almost as much stuff on the CD as is in the book. So I, I, I did this month after month for almost a year, okay, to read and digest the whole thing, taking copious, copious pages of notes, and that's how I came up with a large part of the book. And I liked Vince personally. I will never understand why he did that. I will never really understand why he wrote such a wrong-headed book that was very wrong-headed right from the start, you know, in, in almost every single aspect of that 2,646 pages with very, very, very few redeeming qualities. And I don't even think the guy left his office. There's no evidence in that book that he ever traveled to any place outside of his office. Everything he did was on the phone. And in my opinion, you can't do that in this case. You have to go out and talk to people. You have to go out and see places. It's that complex of a case. If you, if you don't do that, you really don't understand how wrong the Warren Commission really was. To give you an example, I, I've been to New Orleans three times. Three times. And I don't even think that that was enough to really... I've been to Dallas twice. See, unless you go ahead and actually go down there and see things, like, for example, where Oswald had to walk from uh, the rooming house to Tented Patton, where allegedly he killed J.D. Tippett, you know, unless you right. actually go to places like the Clinton-Jackson area, north of New Orleans, where Oswald was... You can't really understand, you know, what this case is really all about and the tremendous fraud that the Warren Commission was and is. So I, I, I just didn't understand that whole approach. And also, he says in the book that Jerry Spence studied the JFK case for about four months. Now, I don't have to tell you guys, four months is not even learning how to spell. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the yeah. JFK case. Not even close. And we'll, okay. we'll, we'll get back into that. we got to take a quick break. A lot more to come. You're listening to Jason and JV, Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be back after this. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Beyond Reality Paranormal. I'm your host, JV Johnson. I'm going to ask that you support this program. The easiest way to do that, by the way, is if you're listening as a podcast, you just open up the description of the episode and you scroll down to the bottom. And at the bottom, there is a link that says support 
this podcast. If you click on that, you'll be taken to a page that gives you a couple of options for supporting the show. We greatly appreciate it. It helps us bring great programs to you every week, and we look forward to continuing to do that. And if you're enjoying the program on YouTube, there's another way you can support the show. Just go to the description. You'll see a link to a Patreon page. It's Joha, J-O-H-A-W. And if you go to the Patreon page, you'll be able to pledge an amount to help support the show as well. Once again, thanks for your support. Thank you for listening. Please share it with your friends. You know, when you listen to this program, you hear many interesting guests who discuss many interesting topics. Most of those guests have books, movies, or other work that support their ideas. And we've made it very easy for you to find that work. Just go to Amazon.com slash shop slash JVJ Taps. Not only will you find the books and other work of our guests, but you'll help support this program at the same time. Again, it's Amazon.com slash shop slash JVJ Taps. You'll also see links in the description of this episode that you can click on. We can only scratch the surface of many of these topics, and the real knowledge is what you'll find in the pages or frames of our guests' efforts. So click the link and browse, and hey, thanks for listening. Um, we are talking with James DiEugenio tonight. He's the author of a book called The JFK Assassination, The Evidence Today. And uh, one of the things that you find when you have these conversations about this particular topic is there's never, never enough time to cover everything because it's so complex and there's so much information and it changes all the time. They've already been going for over 50 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, James, before we jump back into our conversation here, let's just you know, go to the phone line. We've had some people waiting for a while that want to weigh in on the topic. This is Barry from North Carolina. Hey, Barry, thanks for being patient. I'll tell you what, JV and Jason, you guys are really good about taking my calls, and I sure appreciate it. And I want, to, I want you guys to know, and you already know, this was doggone at CIA, FBI, J. Edgar Hoover hated the Kennedys. That the Bay of Pigs, of course, threw a monkey wrench into things. But it's just obvious that JFK and Robert F. Robert Kennedy were both killed. Uh, by by conspiracy from one of these agencies, and or both or whatever, and they did not want either one of them being president. And, but the thing is, what, what what gets me is how they killed John Kennedy right in front of the public being filmed. I mean, why didn't they poison him or, or do something to, to where it wasn't so public? Well, Thanks for the call. Yeah, thank you, Barry. That's a great point. And I don't think they expected uh, Abraham Zapruder to be filming at that point. Um, that was one of those gotcha moments that I don't think anybody expected. Um, but what are your thoughts on that, James? I mean, you know, that's a that's a great question. <laughs> that is a really, really good question. And when I get questions like that, it really helps cheer me up that there are some people out there who are actually asking those kinds of very crucial and key questions. There's, you know, the CIA or the all those, they had ways of doing away with people at that time that were not anywhere near as spectacular or as messy as this was, you know. They, so why did they pick 
doing it this way? You know, that's a very good question. And, uh, you know, some people have tried to answer it, you know. And one very good answer from a guy that I know, a lawyer uh, in Philadelphia, uh, Vincent Solandria, he thinks it was done just to show anybody else that look what we did to Kennedy. We blew him away in front of 200 witnesses at high noon in broad daylight. Okay? And they're, they're still chasing their tails. They can't figure out what the heck happened. So if you ever get any ideas like that guy did, okay, you know what we're going to do to you. Okay. Yeah, right. So, yeah, right. so that's, that's, what he, that's what he thinks happened. That's what, and it's such a fascinating question. It really is, you know. It is. Let's jump to uh, John in Kansas. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Uh, I'd like to make a statement, then make my question. Uh, you know, it's obvious to anybody that's ever hunted that JFK was shot from at least two different angles. Uh, but my question is, to Jim, is there any... Uh, confirmation anywhere, or does he believe that JFK's assassination was part of a conspiracy that Johnson was a part of, and that the vice president's administration would have tried to cover up, and then when Robert Kennedy was killed, if he thought Johnson may have still been involved in that situation. Great questions, John. Yeah. Uh, was uh, was Lyndon Johnson um, part of this conspiracy, James? Um, okay, let, there's there's two questions there. Uh, as far as the RFK case goes, I've never seen any evidence that uh, LBJ was a part of that with the conspiracy or the cover up. Um, that's a whole different kind of a ball game. And if you want to take a few minutes in the show to talk about that, I'll, I'll be glad to discuss it. As far as the JFK goes, look, everybody and their mother was involved in the cover-up on the JFK case. The Warren Commission did not discern anything about the quality of information they were getting from anybody. You know, and so that message was put across very quickly. And so Hoover and Richard Helms and Angleton and Johnson and everybody in Washington understood that the Warren Commission was a joke from the beginning. You know, and they would they would easily, easily bamboozle and they actually took part willingly in the cover up. Um so yes. The answer to that, that LBJ was in on the cover-up. There's no doubt about it. You know. Now, as far as the conspiracy goes, that's something different. I've, I've never been able to find anything really definitive on that part of it. I'd be willing to say, though, that Johnson knew what was going to happen, All right, that Kennedy was going to be killed, and he didn't do anything to stop it. Yeah, good point. Okay. So as we move through this discussion, uh, I have to ask you about Tom Hanks, because I know um, 
I know that he's an important part of the work you're doing now. Uh, tell us why he fits into this story. <laughs> okay. He takes up a large part of the last part of the book because that part of the book is about Hollywood and the media and how they've tried to blow back uh, against what Oliver Stone did with JFK. Tom Hanks has made two films, Parkland, all right, about, which is supposed to be based on Bugliosi's book, and was really a really terrible, terrible film all the way around, and was nothing but an intense cover-up of what really happened to President Kennedy. And then he started and produced this movie called The Post, which I spend about 15 pages on Parkland, and I spend about 20 pages on The Post. And I really don't know which one is worst as far as history goes, okay? because <laughs> they're both pretty bad. You know, I will, I will grant The Post is a much better made film, you know, but The Post was really a real distortion of history. It, do we have a few minutes? Can I talk about this? Yeah, yeah, please do, yeah. Okay, all right. <sighs> Making a movie about the Pentagon Papers based upon the Washington Post would be like making a movie about Watergate and basing it on the New York Times. It just doesn't make any sense at all. All right. And this is what I found out about the making of that film. I talked to, when you read the book, you'll see, I, I interviewed James Goodale, who, is, who was the uh, in-house counsel for the New York Times. When he heard that this movie was going to be made, he called up Spielberg's office, and he asked to see the first draft of the script. And so they sent it to him, and he said, Jim, if you think the final film was bad, in the first draft of the script, Ellsberg was in one scene. He's in one scene in the whole <laughs> darn movie. All right, now, of course, Daniel Ellsberg is the guy who stole the Pentagon Papers out of the Rand Corporation. And then he started giving them to the New York Times. And then he gave them the Washington Post, and then he gave them the 15 other newspapers. All right. He was then indicted by the Justice Department, and he stood trial. Him and his partner, Anthony Russo, risked going to jail for 150 years combined. You know, and then eventually the charges were thrown out because they found out that the White House was interfering with the trial. All right. Now, how you can make a movie <laughs> about the <laughs> Pentagon Papers and leave all of that information out and instead make a hero out of Ben Bradley and a heroine out of Catherine Grant, that really, really eludes me. You know, see, that's, see, this is what gets me so mad. You know, Oliver Stone, whenever he makes a movie about history, he gets slugged from left, right, middle, everywhere. Okay? But Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg go ahead and make an adulteration of history like that. And I think I was one of the very, very few people who called them out on it. All right? 
And I, the only reason I think this happened is because they're members of the club. You know, they're part of the Democratic establishment, you know, and Oliver Stone really isn't, right? And so he has to take his lumps, and these guys get away with this, with this crap, you know. And to actually have Catherine Graham say that she didn't know what McNamara was doing, for those years that he was Secretary of Defense, and she didn't understand why he did it. That was one of the worst scenes in the whole film. Because as you, when you read my book, you'll see, Lynn, when Johnson became president, one of his first targets was Catherine Graham, the publisher of The Post. He wanted her in his corner because he knew in the summer of 1964 that he was going to escalate the war. In other words, he was breaking with Kennedy's policy of getting out of Vietnam. And he was going to ask, and he wanted her in his corner. And they discussed this in the summer of 1964. She went as far as to let people from the White House rewrite stories about Vietnam and the Washington Post. She was his cheerleader. You know, he actually said at one time that. Kate Graham is worth two divisions to me in South Vietnam. Hmm. You know? So th- this is the complete opposite of what the real truth was. It's one thing to push the envelope. That's what Oliver does. Okay? He tries, he has, tries to ask questions that are unknown. It's quite another thing to rewrite history mm-hmm. and, and do a 180 with it for dramatic purposes. That's yeah. that's a no-no as far as I'm concerned. And it seems as, as though Tom Hanks has made that his second career. We're going to run out of time here. I want to ask you about Oliver Stone because it must have been a heck of an honor to have Oliver Stone write the foreword to your book, um, both from a perspective of the fact that he blazed a bit of a trail here with the film, but in addition to that, um, you know, he's just a, he's a he's a stand-up, respected guy. Some people think some of his theories are a little, you know, to the fringe, but not everybody believes that. In fact, I think he's a hero to a lot of people. Well, he's one of the very, very few people in Hollywood, you know, who does this kind of thing. You know, I mean... Uh, I can't think of anybody else, you know, who on a consistent level actually makes these political films, you know. And, you know, if, if it wasn't for him, I mean, you know, see, it used to be a long time ago, a long time ago, that Hollywood wasn't, and this is what, I, what one of the things that my book is about, that Hollywood would take on these issues. There was a time, you know, which I consider the golden age of, Amer- of the American sound film from about 1964 to 1975, where you had really kind of social and political movies coming out of Hollywood every month, you know, like Chinatown and The Conversation and Little Big Man and Bonnie and Clyde. You know, Dr. Strangelove, you know, right. it, you don't have those things anymore. You know, and and if it wasn't, you know, I mean, instead you've got Spider-Man and X-Men <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Black Panther and, you know, Marvel Comics has taken over Hollywood. <laughs> okay. yeah. Who would have predicted that 20 years ago? Right. You know, 
And so, and so Oliver is one of the last really good hopes that we have in that regard, who actually makes feature films. Now, I should give some credit to Netflix, because Netflix looks like they're carving out a niche there with documentary films that are controversial in a certain way. You know, but as far as feature films go, you know, there aren't any, there aren't any other directors I can think of that take as many risks with their career as he has. You know, when you're at the top, and there's no doubt he was at the top. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he has three Oscars, mm-hmm. you know, and you keep on pushing the envelope and you still keep on. I mean, that tells you a lot about the guy's character, I think. It really does. James, we are just up against the clock here. Um, we're going to have to have you back on because we've only scratched the surface. Tell people where they can get a hold of your book. Okay. You can, you can get uh, the JFK assassination, the evidence today. Just go over to Amazon. Okay, and you can get it in, I think, two versions right now, uh, the Kindle version and the paperback version. And uh, you can also go to my website at kennedysandking.com, and the latest articles I've written are up there. James, thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us tonight, and we definitely look forward to talking to you again at some point. Okay, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Okay, once again, the book is called The JFK Assassination, The Evidence Today, and uh, it's it's a great book. You can get it on Amazon, as James was talking about. Check out his other work as well, Destiny Betrayed, and I think he said before we let him go that uh, he's working on something now that uh, will explore uh, Oswald in Mexico City. Yeah, it's which is a big... follow that path and yeah. see see where the truth lies. I yeah. mean, there, there's just so much mixed information out there. So Kat Canavos will be joining us after D. Snyder, uh, if everything works according to schedule, but Kathleen Kathleen is a three-time breast cancer survivor, and she's written a book called Dreams That Can Save Your Life, which is an exploration of dreams as a spiritual early warning system and source of healing and inner guidance for your health and your well-being. And then Wednesday, Blanche Barton, and we're going to be talking, well, she's with the Church of Satan, and we'll be discussing Satanism, magic, and Anton LaVey. And Thursday will be our first installment of Readings with Rebecca, which we'll be doing the first Thursday of every month during the first hour of the program so prepare your calls because we'll we don't normally take calls in the first hour but we're going to open things right up with rebecca for readings with her on thursday night the first hour so make sure the minute the show starts just start dialing. start dialing just, just start dialing dialing remember you used to do remember you used to when you were a kid you used to listen to the radio and you know they'd be giving away in my case it was like they gave away bowling games or something we'd be sitting there ready to dial and oh, yeah. you know just because you just wanted to win something on the radio so badly well, that's going to pretty much do it for us tonight. Head over to Facebook.com slash Beyond Reality Radio, like the Facebook page for us, and then head to BeyondRealityRadio.com where you can get all the apps, the free iPhone and Android app. You can find all the stations we are in across the country, and that list is constantly being updated, new stations being added all the time, or you can listen right from the website any night we're live. So that's going to do it for us. You listen to Jason and JV, Beyond Reality Radio. We'll catch you all tomorrow. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.